I sometimes feel my body is like my TV. I have a general idea of how it works, but you wouldn't trust me with the details. The body is much more complex than a TV, isn't it? All our weird little organs contain entire worlds of teeming life too, our microbiome. Researchers are working to understand precisely how these kilos of microbes affect our health, but they're also seeing a significant drop in their diversity. A new documentary examines the research of leading scientists on the human microbiome. It's called The Invisible Extinction, screening on SBS. And two of the world's leading experts in the microbiome, the figures at the centre of that documentary, are with us today. Martin J. Blazer is the director of the Centre for Advanced Biotechnology and Medicine and the Henry Rutgers Chair of the Human Microbiome at Rutgers University. Martin, welcome. Hello. Nice to hear you. Very nice to have you with us. And also Gloria Dominguez-Bello is the Director of the New Jersey Institute for Food, Health and Nutrition and the Henry Rutgers Professor of Microbiome and Health at Rutgers University. Gloria, welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. It is a pleasure. There also happen to be a married couple, which is interesting but irrelevant for our purposes today on Life Matters. Gloria, tell us a bit about our microbiome, what it's made of and where it resides and just how much of us it makes up. So we are walking ecosystems, microbial ecosystems. We have we carry in our outside and in our imaginations, in our gut, we carry a diversity of microbes from bacteria to fungi, viruses. And we acquire these microbes at birth, during birth and after. And then we mature them as the baby develops. And when we are adults and throughout life, these microbes are all the time talking to to our systems, to our immune system, to our brain. They are necessary for health. They evolve with human beings right from the beginning, and we need to take good care of them. The documentary argues, Gloria, that we've lost up to 50% of our internal biodiversity, the microbes that are part of us. How is it possible to measure that loss? So what we do is uh, we study people that live in remote places away from modernity, away from industrialization, from processed food, from antibiotics and medicine, um, so deep in the jungle in the Amazon. So when we go there or we go to the traditional villages in Africa, we find they have much higher biodiversity of their microbiome. Um, so we, when we compare the highest people we have found so far are first contact indigenous people in the Amazon. They have twice the diversity that that we have in the U.S. Well, we'll get to the hypothesis about why that's the case in just a moment. But Martin Blazer, you note that microbes train the immune system to tell the good things from the bad things. Explain how they do that. Well, uh, as Gloria said, uh, life is a partnership with our microbes, the microbes that have lived on us. And that's a deep part of human evolution. And so our immune system has evolved in with respect to these microbes. Uh, as Gloria said, we, we, we get them early at birth and they are interacting with our immune system as it's developing. They're, they're helping to shape the immune system. That's why we say we're training the immune system and, and giving us the healthy immune system that an adult should have. And we're concerned that because of these losses of the microbes, that the training of the immune system is improper. 
We're speaking with Martin J. Blazer and Gloria Dominguez-Bello, who are some of the most influential experts in the microbiome in the world, and they feature in a documentary screening today on SBS called The Invisible Extinction. Martin, what's the theory that you both have about why we're seeing this loss of diversity in our microbiome? Well, uh, you know, uh, I'm a medical doctor, and I was struck by the fact that there are so many epidemics now of chronic diseases, asthma, food allergies, obesity, inflammatory bowel disease. They all started around the same time after World War II and have gone on and increased to the present all over the world. And so the question is, what could be going on? Or do they have different causes? Or perhaps there's one cause underlying them all. And that's where we came upon the idea that it was due to a change in the microbiome, the same change that Gloria talked about, about the disappearance of organisms. And we think that's happening because many of the features of modern life, including especially antibiotics, but antibacterials, cesarean sections, lots of ways that we're changing the, the, our relationship with our microbes. I guess though that was always also a period of great social change and another wave of urbanization. How can we pin it down to uh, antibiotics when it, uh, as opposed to say, uh, changes in um, the way we live our, our lifestyles? Yes, a wonderful question. And you know, to prove relationships, you have to look at it in several different ways. And so there are epidemiologic studies that show that children, who get more antibiotics have a higher rate of getting these diseases. But we also do uh, studies in animals so that we give mice antibiotics or not, and then we see what happens. And we can show in mice that they're getting more obese, that they're getting allergic phenomena, that they're developing diabetes. The only variable there is antibiotics or not. So together, the laboratory studies and the epidemiologic studies uh, are, are completely consistent. You've said yourself in other interviews that there are many correlations between antibiotic use and longer-term poor outcomes and those other health conditions emerging. Is correlation enough to be working on at this point, Martin? Correlation is useful, but it is not enough. And that's why we do experiments in animals so that we can, the experiment allows you to, to test whether something is causal or not. Just as years ago, people gave mice cigarettes to smoke and showed that they could cause lung cancer. There was also a lot of correlation between cigarettes and lung cancer, but then they did animal studies that kind of closed the loop. Is there more evidence uh, linking some of the health conditions you mentioned, Martin, to antibiotic use than others? You've mentioned asthma, food allergies, obesity, inflammatory bowel disease. Is there a stronger evidence base in uh, one or more of those? Well, uh, it varies a little between studies, but we did a study with colleagues at the Mayo Clinic in the United States looking at all the children born in Olmsted County, Minnesota. That's where the Mayo Clinic is. And we had records of all their antibiotic use, and we studied 10 different childhood conditions. And in all 10, there was an association with antibiotics, and in eight of the 10, it was statistically significant. That included allergic and inflammatory diseases, metabolic diseases like overweight and obesity, and also neurodevelopmental diseases like attention deficit disorder and learning disabilities. So it, it's quite broad, and it's consistent with the fact that all these diseases rose 
more or less at the same time. Gloria Domingos Bello, you you mentioned that you've been going to traditional communities who aren't living in an urbanised environment and looking at their microbiome and and seeing that uh, some of these diseases are not present. How do you narrow down what's relevant there, given that there are lots of other differences too? You note, you know, water purification, processed food, milk pasteurisation, as well as the use of antibiotics. How do we know what's happening there? Right. So we don't yet from the standpoint of uh, human causality. But uh, you are right that urbanization is many things and is the compounding effect of many things. So we have to, we have started to try to disentangle this. And we have started, for example, studying remote communities to which only medicines arrive without changing their lifestyle. So that way we can see the impact of use of antibiotics and antiparasitic uh, drugs, et cetera. You are right that modernity is many things. There are many, many stressors, but we still think that antibiotics are particularly anti, you know, strong in as a antimicrobials. So that's a, that's a very strong, uh, and there are plenty of uh, animal studies that show that antibiotics cause obesity increase asthma, you know, those causality studies are there in animals. You you cannot, you, we are limited by ethics to do any, um, human studies. You cannot randomize for C-section. You cannot even randomize for antibiotics. It, it, these are difficult studies to get ethical approval for. So we, in humans, we are limited to do mostly observational studies unless you can randomize. So currently we are randomizing restoring. So we can randomize restoring babies that are born by C-section, for example, with their the, with exposure, which is natural, to the microbes of the vagina of their mothers. We can do that because we are not doing the C-section. The C-section has been determined by doctors. But if whether uh, the, the babies are exposed to the microbes or not, is randomized and then those babies will be followed for five years and then we can study not only the restoring the micro the microbiome trajectory during maturation but also uh, health what we call the phenotype what, are the babies at uh, normal risk of developing asthma uh, uh, growing too fast and too big etc which we know antibiotics lead to there, we've got a couple of minutes left to discuss this issue with Gloria and Dominguez Bello and Martin J. Blazer. And I'd like to cover a couple of important uh, parts of this discussion. Martin, faecal transplants are one of the techniques being used to transfer microbiomes between people. But there's uh, some caution around what else you might be transferring as well. The documentary talks to a woman, woman who started uh, dealing with obesity after a faecal transplant. How much should we rely on that as a, a pathway for kind of re-inhabiting our microbiome? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, the thought that you could treat a disease by giving somebody uh, human poop is pretty remarkable. But for one particular disease, which is called C. diff infection, the fecal transplant works very well. Uh, in fact, they had to stop the clinical trial because compared to the usual treatment, it was so much better. By now, there are hundreds of clinical trials going on all over the world for many different conditions to see whether 
fecal transplant is, is better than alternative treatments. Right now, the jury is out, and it's unlikely that it's going to be good in all of them, but it might be good in some of them, or perhaps in some patients with some of these conditions. And one of the problems is that feces is kind of is pretty undefined, uh, even though we try to do the best we can. And I think over time, we're going to be getting away from that, where we're going to give people pure cultures of certain bacteria, try to figure out which are the active ones, which are the ones that are going to prevent disease. We're getting text messages on both sides, some saying this is so fascinating and I'm really worried about uh, the effects of antibiotics. But a, a couple on the other side saying I've lived at least 10 times longer than I would have without antibiotics, so I'm happy to put up with any perceived side effects. Martin, are we between a rock and a hard place? I know my mother has a chronic lung condition which is only being controlled with the long-term use of antibiotics. Are we going to have to choose between our outcomes? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a specialist in infectious diseases. I love antibiotics. Antibiotics can be life-saving and life-prolonging, but we are vastly overusing antibiotics. We're using them as if there was no cost. Uh, a typical line from the doctor might be, this might not help you, but it won't hurt. But now we have more and more evidence that it can hurt. And so we're going to have to rebalance and, and stop using antibiotics so much. In Sweden, they're only using 40% of the antibiotics we're using in the United States. And as far as I can see, the Swedes are doing very well. We need to be much more careful about how we're using it. One of our uh, top experts in this in Australia, Alan Cheng, wrote an article on the ABC website today uh, outlining his concerns about this. He's a professor in infectious diseases epidemiology at Monash University. And he was saying that 60% of the antibiotics used in Australia are used in animals. Just very quickly, Martin, what's the problem with that? Well, it's interesting. That was a, a big breakthrough for me because farmers are using antibiotics to fatten their farm animals up. It's called growth promotion. Farmers all over the world have been doing it for the last 70 years. And, and all of a sudden I thought, well, if farmers are giving antibiotics to fatten up their animals, what are we doing to our kids? So uh, that's why they're doing it. It improves the economics on the farm, but uh, there's a risk that we're going to get some of those uh, uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria from farm farm animals. So it, it, it saves us a small amount of money in the short run, but it is costly in the long run. Like so many things that humans have come up with. Martin, Gloria, thank you both for very quickly outlining your thoughts on this for Life Matters today. Thanks thank for you your great question. Martin J. Blazer is the director of the Centre for Advanced Biotechnology and Medicine and the Henry Rutgers Chair of the Human Microbiome at Rutgers University. And Gloria Domingos-Bello is the director of the New Jersey Institute for Food, Health and Nutrition and the Henry Rutgers Professor of Microbiome and Health at Rutgers University. They both feature in a documentary called The Invisible Extinction, which is screening on SBS Vice and SBS On Demand from 9.30pm on Wednesday the 8th today. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.